Acts chapter 23. As you turn there in Acts chapter 23, we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse, uh, in verse 12. As we noted here, uh, Paul is imprisoned. He has been bound, uh, really saved by the Romans when a mob was around him and beating him. Their intent was to kill him. And so we know that he appeared before the Sanhedrin council at the direction of the chief captain. He goes back into the prison after there's a stirring member. He brings forth the doctrine of the resurrection and it brought a conflict between the Pharisees and the Sadducees over the doctrine of the resurrection and they both were at odds with regards to that. And um, after, I just want to put forth the context, in chapter 24, in the next chapter, Paul is going to appear before Governor Felix and Paul will remain imprisoned for two years. Now, we think he goes to Rome, but That's not after two years of spending in prison there. Then in Acts chapter 25, Paul appears before the new governor, Festus. So basically after two years, a new governor comes on the scene, most likely appointed by Nero to be the next governor. That was Festus, and Paul then appears before um, Festus, and that's when he's going to appeal to Caesar. And then later Festus brings Paul down to Jerusalem, and then he's going to appear before King Agrippa. And uh, we know the reference that uh, King Agrippa was, he said, almost persuaded to be a Christian. But King Agrippa said something important. He says, if he had not appealed unto Caesar, then we would have let him hit loose. Now, in our last study... Really, where we ended last time was verse 11 of Acts 23. And before we begin in our our next study, I want to remind us of what was said at the end. Verse 11 says, And the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. So those are the words of the Lord. He knows, that means based on the word of the Lord, Paul knows that he's not going to die in Jerusalem. It means that Paul knows that he is going to go to Rome. So when we think about that, we have that in mind, because when we begin reading in verse 11 and work our way down through the remainder of the chapter, we read something that's going to stand at odds with what God just said. It seems there's a conspiracy against Paul. To kill Paul. But yet we can't forget what God has said to Paul. The question I often ask when I read the scriptures and study the scriptures is, why did God put this in here for us? Why do we have this? The book of Acts is not everything that happened in the first century churches, but it is everything God wants us to know happened. And I believe what we read here in those 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 26th chapters is how... God worked all these things out for good. As we have that in mind, I want to remind us as well that when Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans, he did so before this happens. Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans on his third missionary journey. And if you remember at the end of the epistle to the Romans, he writes to them and he says, When I go down to Jerusalem... After I leave Jerusalem on my way to Spain, I will stop by and see you in Rome. 
Now we know he is not going to take that last journey to Spain, but he will be taken to Rome as a prisoner and spend his last days in Rome. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul writes this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. He wrote those words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God before this happened. So I think that's a good thing for us to keep in mind. So let's stand together. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. We stand out of reverence for God and His Word. And we're going to read verse 12 down through the chapter. Acts 23, verse 12. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they, till they had killed Paul. And they were more than forty which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse, that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down to you tomorrow, as though he would inquire something more perfectly concerning him, and we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though that it would inquire something of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath, that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young men depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred at the thirty hour of the night. Let me just pause. Outnumbering the forty. Greatly. And provided them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner. Claudius, Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause, wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth into their council whom I perceive to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid of his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to, stay before, to say before thee what they have against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipetrus. On the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle, who 
When they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, help us to see your hand in all of this. And the reason why you've given us this record, that we might see how your word was fulfilled. Help us to look in light of this great conspiracy against Paul, that you are able to still accomplish your will and your work despite the wickedness of men. We know that that is the te- your testimony throughout world history, is the testimony from your word. And may, why, might we learn that that can be the testimony in our own lives as well. And so we ask your blessing as we look into your word and study how we might show ourselves approved unto God that we might not be ashamed as we declare those truths. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we begin in our text in verse 11 and 12, we find what I would refer to as a contrast between the words of the Lord to Paul and the men whose intent it was to kill Paul. That's what we find in verse 11 and 12. On the one hand, God says, be of good cheer, because you're not going to only testify here in Jerusalem, but you're also going to testify in Rome. And immediately after that verse, in verse 12, we learn about this conspiracy that uh, 40 men made an oath, took an oath, that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. And so there's two programs going on, really, at the same time. There is the program of God, and then there is the program of men. God has some things that are good in store for Paul, and men have ill intent towards Paul. And as we proceed in our text, what I'd like to do, a little different here, because really this chapter, as we read it in just a moment ago, is both a rehearsal of what we have seen happen. So, the text goes this way, that Paul first, we find the conspiracy against Paul. That conspiracy then is is heard by, uh, I guess, Paul's sister's son, is what we read in uh, verse 16. And so he brings the message to Paul. He delivers this message. And then uh, Paul tells his nephew to go and deliver that same message uh, to the chief captain. And then the chief captain is going to write a letter to the governor repeating. And so we have the repetition of what's going on. First, the conspiracy. The young man repeating that to Paul. The young man then repeating that to the chief captain. And then the chief captain repeating that to the governor. Why do we have all that information? Why all that repetition? I think what we need to find here is how God can be glorified in suffering. Paul is not in a position that he has chosen for himself. He is in this position because he's been obedient to the Lord, because he's been preaching the gospel. Remember that Paul had been all throughout Asia Minor preaching the gospel. And during this feast in Jerusalem, Jews who had been throughout Asia Minor had come back to Jerusalem for the feast and had seen Paul walking around in the city. They had seen Paul in the temple. 
and they were all stirred up because they know that Paul has been going everywhere preaching the gospel. And so Paul is in this predicament because he has been obedient to God. Uh, so I'm saying to us that he has not brought on the suffering on himself. The suffering happens because he's been faithful to the Lord. Now I established the difference for this reason. Hold your place here and turn with me to to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'd like to show you something in 1 Peter and chapter 4. Because I think it's important for us to establish that there are different reasons why people suffer. Sometimes suffering is what people bring on themselves. But sometimes suffering is simply happens because you're faithful to the Lord. And sometimes suffering happens because... Suffering happens to all, and it is part of life. And it is important for us to distinguish those things as they are in God's Word. Notice with me 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. He says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time will come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinners appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I want us to notice here that he mentioned specifically that there is a distinction that needs to be made between those who suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as a busybody and those who suffer as a Christian. There is the sense that certainly we can, make, let me give you an example, we, may, we can make uh, bad financial decisions. And we can find ourselves in a precarious financial condition or situation, but we have to say, well, that's because I've made wrong decisions. You see, there, is, there could be suffering in our lives, but it could be suffering that's brought on because of our own decisions. And by the way, Christians ought to certainly seek wisdom from the Lord and make the right decision and not bring suffering upon themselves. But there's also a second type of suffering, and that is the suffering that Paul is facing. He is facing suffering strictly because he is a Christian. Because he's been preaching the gospel, because he has been obeying the Lord. And let me establish this truth very clearly here. 1 Peter 4 teaches us, that we ought to rejoice that the suffering that we experience is the suffering that we experience because we are Christians, because we are not suffering because we've done something evil. That is something in itself to rejoice in. 
I remember I had forgiven this account before, but remember my somebody stole my dad's bike. And uh, I remember him coming back and thanking the Lord. He came to church that Sunday and he relayed the story to people and he said this, I thank the Lord that I was not the thief. You see, that put things in perspective. So as we come here to Acts chapter 23 and we, we understand in the world that there is suffering by virtue of just the fact that we are in a sin-cursed world. Uh, but also that there are suffering that often people bring on themselves. And I want us to be careful that when that is the case, that we don't claim the promises of God when we're suffering for wrongdoing. There are consequences for those things. But then when we do suffer because we are Christians, because we are being obedient to the Lord, then we can find comfort in some wonderful truth from His Word. I want us to go through the text, and then I'm going to keep in mind as we go through our text, I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 8, because that's what Paul wrote before he faces this trial, and see how that applies. So notice Acts chapter 23. I want us to notice, first of all, in our text, the conspiracy that was unprecedented. If you notice here, really the conspiracy, we keep in mind the words of the Lord that He just said in verse 11, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And immediately when we read those words, we are brought immediately to a conspiracy of 40 men whose goal was to kill Paul. That's the conspiracy. And that is not my word. It's verse 13 says, They were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And so their plan, their conspiracy was to kill Paul. There are several things I note about this conspiracy keeping in mind the contrast with the promise of the Lord. We know that this conspiracy, uh, the, the intent of this conspiracy, notice verse 12, what was their intent? The end of the verse says, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. I want you to notice this is not a, a conspiracy to harm him or to silence him, it's a conspiracy to kill him, to end his life. By the way, they had already attempted that, early on, until the chief captain and the soldiers had interfered in the business and delivered Paul. And there was also, we see when he appeared before the Sanhedrin Council, he was pulled in both directions, and again, the soldiers intervened. And so he has uh, been, uh, the potential of harm has been seen over the last several chapters. And so the intent of the conspiracy is quite a severe one. Their plan is to kill him. We not only see their intent, but we also see their number. It's not just one man or two men. Verse 13 says that they were more than 40. More than 40. So they are great in number. Uh, the, the, the idea here is that we, uh, based on what the words of God has said, here's what, here's what God has said. And there seems to be uh, an overwhelming crowd of people that can easily fulfill this conspiracy. They even have a plan, and the plan is explained, and it seems that it's going to go according to plan. And so we see their intent, we see their number, we see their commitment. They're so committed to this. Verse 14, notice the Bible says, we have bound ourselves under a great curse. Wow, they pronounced a curse upon themselves. Notice, added to that, that they will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now, <laughs> we know they didn't slay Paul. 
He's actually going to be two years. I don't think that they stopped eating until he died because that would be years later and he ends up going to Rome. So I wonder if that curse that they pronounced on themselves, they actually fulfilled it. They didn't. They couldn't fulfill it. And by the way, when somebody is uh, overly emotionally here as they were, over emotional about something, they often make, I, I, I'm trying to think about the uh, stupid statements. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Just bad statements all around. That It just makes no sense. What, what do you mean? Uh, you're not going to eat or drink until he has died. But it, it shows, if you would, the, the, the intensity and the level of commitment in this conspiracy. And I bring those things to our attention in contrast to what God said. But there's one more thing we find in verse 15. We see their arrangement in the conspiracy. So here's the plan, verse 15. That they're going to send word to the chief captain that the, the, the Sanhedrin council wants to hear back from Paul and then want to have another discussion. And so when the captain brings him, then they're going to kill Paul at that time. They said at the end of verse 15, as though he would inquire something more perfectly concerning him, and we or ever he come near are ready to kill him. Now notice, he would be escorted by soldiers. So that means that they were planning on overwhelming the soldiers, and uh, that would be a severe conspiracy with regards to then the Jews standing against uh, the Roman authority in Jerusalem. And so this is a chaotic scene. This is the conspiracy which was unprecedented. And let me just bring out these points is that, first of all, Paul could not save himself. Could we establish that he could not save himself here? He's overwhelmed by their number. He's overwhelmed by their commitment and their intensity, the arrangement. He can't do anything about it. And uh, furthermore, he can't change their mind. He's already done, tried to do so. He's already tried to speak with them. He, remember at, when he was on the way to the castle, the crowd came and he spoke to them. And he tried to, to reason with them. And when he was before the Sanhedrin council, he also tried to convince them. And so this conspiracy here was unprecedented. Paul could not save himself. Neither could Paul overpower them. If you think about Paul in his own strength, in his own ability, could he make the situation work? And we might say that, no, Paul cannot. He is bound. He, he can't do anything. So we see that this conspiracy was unprecedented, but then we see that this conspiracy was uncovered. Now, lest we think here, I, 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 that's why I put in, in contrast with verse 11, Paul, God said to Paul, Be of good cheer. For thou hast, as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Here is what you're going to do, Paul. And so when we read about the conspiracy, all of a sudden we might think, Oh no, this is not good. God said one thing. Men have other plans. This is not good for Paul. But here the conspiracy is uncovered. Unless we think, oh, man, Paul has such good luck. I think not. I think not. I think God was involved. The person was at the right place at the right time. That's God, not chance. Do you notice here as we consider the conspiracy was uncovered, we read in verse 16 that the conspiracy was heard. Do you see Paul's sister's son heard there lying in wait? Now, I didn't even know up to this point, right? We read this. We don't know that Paul had a sister who had a son. But he happens to be there at that particular... We know nothing about him. No background uh, as far as in Acts, I mean, if you lived at that time, you would know that Paul had a sister and that he had a nephew. But we who 
are standing in the 21st century. We read the Bible up to this point. We didn't know there was a nephew. But there is. And he happens to be at the right place at the right time when the conspiracy could be heard. And I have to go back to the promise of God. Be of good cheer. Paul, the conspiracy was not only heard, but then the conspiracy was told. From verse 16 down to verse 22, we see that uh, uh, this young man, he goes to Paul first to prison, and he tells Paul about this conspiracy. Then Paul does the next uh, best thing. He says, all right, he instructs the guards to take the young man, and to take him to the chief captain so he can do something about it. And so then he goes to the chief captain. The chief captain uh, brings him aside. He tells them, the young man tells uh, the conspiracy to uh, the centurion. And so he told him what was going on. And so now the chief captain could do something about it. And so we see that the conspiracy was heard. The conspiracy was told. But then we see that the conspiracy was thwarted. Uh, Verse 23 and 24 It's amazing how we see that uh, there was these 40 men who were so committed to kill Paul. And then there happened to be a young man who heard the conspiracy, who relayed that to somebody eventually who could do something about it. And uh, we we think about uh, there's there's one God and he gave words to Paul. There's 40 men lying in wait. But notice verse 23. And he called unto him two centurions saying, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea. Ah, I like that. 200 soldiers. Against what? Against the 40 men who were conspiring against Paul. And horsemen, three score and ten. Well, that's good. And spearmen, 200. And uh, at the third hour of the night, and provided them, notice, beasts, that they may set Paul on. And so he got a ride. <laughs> Paul got a ride with the men. He didn't have to walk to Caesarea. He, he got a ride and to bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And so now the Jews, whatever conspiracy they have, they're completely overwhelmed in this conspiracy. And so the conspiracy there was thwarted. So we see the conspiracy was unprecedented. It was uncovered. But then we see that the conspiracy was an open door. The conspiracy was an open door. Let me just be very clear at this point that we cannot proceed and see how Paul is going to appear before Felix and then Festus without understanding that this conspiracy was against Paul because this conspiracy is what caused Paul to appear before Felix in the first place. And it is before Felix that he's going to appeal to Caesar and it's because of his appeal to Caesar that he's going to go to Rome. But what... (laughs) What is the mechanism that unfolded that? The conspiracy. Had there been no conspiracy, the chief captain would not have moved Paul. Had he not known about the conspiracy, he would not have moved Paul. So I see this conspiracy as an open door. I see it, this conspiracy, notice, because of, first of all, Uh, an escort was provided. Uh, Notice uh, the Jews knew that if the chief captain had brought Paul to the Sanhedrin council, he would not have had those hundreds of soldiers with him. 
He would have probably had a few soldiers uh, who had on a special assignment, probably four, maybe up to ten, who would take Paul, who could be very quickly overwhelmed by 40 Jews who were lying in wait to kill Paul. And so now we find here that uh, this conspiracy uh, has actually increased Paul's protection now. He is escorted now by hundreds of soldiers, highly trained soldiers, on horsemen, uh, horsemen, those who had spears, those who had sword. Uh, There's two centurions with them. And so these are men who know what to do. They they know how to fight. And so we see that this conspiracy was an open door because of an escort was provided. But we also see because of the conspiracy, a letter was written. We read the letter, verse 25 through 30. The chief captain now um, writes to the governor Felix and he recalls everything we've read in the last, last two chapters. Here is what has happened. Here was a man who was about to die. We delivered him. Then we appeared before the council. There was no resolution. And then there was a conspiracy. I heard about the conspiracy and and they're planning to kill him. And and really this man, there's no reason why I find that he ought to be killed or ought to be bound. So I think that he should appear before you. And then you can bring those men who are accusing him and you can have a discussion with him. And so that is going to be an open door. And so I see here God working through those difficult circumstances. An escort was provided, a letter was written, but also we see that because of the conspiracy, an audience was granted. Now we're going to see that in the next chapter. Paul is going to speak before Felix, eventually he's going to speak before Festus, and eventually before King Agrippa. But this conspiracy uh, began to unfold, Paul having an audience, before the man who had the authority to give an assignment for Paul to go to Rome, exactly where God said he would end up. There's two ways we can look at that. We can look at this conspiracy. Oh man, this is unjust. Look at these people. Look at how wicked they are. Look at their intent of what they want to do to Paul. Look at all those things. And in light of the promise of God, now we can see when we have the promise of God towards Paul, we can see God work throughout this chapter. Why would God give us this chapter? Because of what He just told Paul. He wants us to see how it all worked out. He wants to see, if you would, behind the scenes that we are not always privy to. In our lives, we often don't know what God is doing in the moment. But God, let me assure you, God is working And let me assure you, if we go, if you have those things in mind, turn back with me to Romans chapter 8, or forward with me back over to Romans chapter 8. And let me remind you that before Paul finds himself in this precarious situation, and no doubt Paul did not have the knowledge of his own, of the conspiracy, it was told to him by his nephew, and so he didn't have the knowledge. But one thing that Paul did know was what he wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And notice what he writes. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. How is God glorified in suffering? By by the way, we know that the end, the end of Paul's uh, imprisonment will end with his death. We know that. But in this moment here, as Paul is facing those difficulties, 
I want you to notice here, if we look at Romans chapter 8, and let me just make a few points and we'll be done here, uh, just to bring out some truths that Paul had already emphasized to the church at Rome that now he is in the midst of living through. In Romans chapter 8, he had talked about how we, he had a, we have a settled relationship. Notice Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Here's what he wrote leading up to the wonderful verse, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. He had said in Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So notice there is a Settled relationship. Paul knows that as he's dealing with this conspiracy, here's something that he has settled in his heart, that he is a, in a relationship with God, that he is a son of God, that he is a child of God, that he can call to God as his father. It is true, by the way, of those who are the children of God. That what? That all things work together for good to them that love God. It is true for all of God's children. Why? Because there is a settled relationship. There's also, as he proceeds in the text, we see that there is also a settled future. Notice he goes from this settled relationship to his settled future in verse 17. He says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And so here he says, we have a settled future. Because we have a settled relationship. But then he also mentioned to them in Romans 8.24 that we also have a settled intercessor. Notice verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Oh, the wonderful truth that we have a settled intercessor who intercedes for us, who helpeth our infirmities, even sometimes we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians when he says that for the thorn in the flesh he besought the Lord thrice that it might be taken away from him. And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. God did not take away the infirmity of Paul, but God nonetheless helped Paul And he recognized in that moment that although he had been praying that the infirmity might be removed from him, evidently the Holy Spirit was praying for something else. What? He was praying that Paul might learn 
to glory in the power of God and not in his own power. And so God allowed the infirmity to stay with Paul. And so Paul says, Therefore I will glory in mine infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And see, we have a settled intercessor who, even though sometimes we may not know, Paul, maybe he he did not know exactly what was going on or how this was all going to work out, but he had to know as he wrote it that he had a settled intercessor who was praying according to the will of God for Paul. So there is a settled relationship, a settled future, a settled intercessor, but there's also a settled knowledge. We often quote Romans 8.28 like this. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's part of the verse. But you know one of the most important part is the first part. And we know. It's one thing to say, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It's another thing to say, and we know that all things work work together. How can we know? Because we have a settled relationship. Because we have a settled future. And because we have a settled intercessor who prays for us according to the will of God. Therefore, we have a settled knowledge. Paul's in prison. Do you see him? He has been falsely accused. He's been beaten. You see him by himself laying in the cell thinking, what is God doing through this? Why is God allowing one of his servants choices servants to, uh, to rot in prison while he could be out preaching the gospel. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So there is a settled relationship, a settled future, a settled intercessor, a settled knowledge. But all this is because there's a settled goal. What's the goal? Verse 29. For... Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. There's a settled goal. What's the goal? We are all predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a wonderful truth to know. You see, that's why we can say, and we know. We know that all things work together. Pastor, I just don't see how Paul could rejoice in that moment. I think we just see it in Acts chapter 23. How God works all things. Do you see the words of God? Be of good cheer. And then immediately afterwards, we read about those 40 men who have a conspiracy to kill Paul. And we say that, where is God in all of this? And we see God throughout the whole thing. How everything works out. Paul will fulfill what God said. As thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so will thou testify of me in Rome. I believe we have those chapters, Acts 23, 24, 25, and 26, to show us that all things work together for good to them that love God. By the way, Paul wrote those words before he went through this. 
In 2 Timothy 2.9, the Bible says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. That's Paul in prison. He says, I am suffering as an evildoer, even unto bonds. Here is, uh, remember, 1 Peter 4 says, We should not be suffering as murderers, and as thieves, and as busybodies. But we may suffer as Christians. And here Paul says, Well, I, it seems that I am suffering as an evildoer uh, by those bonds. But then he says, but the word of God is not bound. Do you see that? God's word is not bound. What had God told Paul? Be of good cheer. As thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so will thou testify of me in Rome. He may be bound. He may be treated as an evildoer. But God's word is not bound. Let's take courage in this, in this truth. No matter what the world may do to us, no matter how the world may treat Paul, they may bind Paul as an evildoer, but they cannot bind the Word of God. And the wonderful thing about what Acts 23 shows us is that actually that God actually used the conspiracy to accomplish His will. Remember, had there been no conspiracy, the chief captain would not have sent a letter to Felix. He would not have raised an army to protect Paul. He would not have, uh, Paul would not have appeared before Felix. Paul would not have appealed to Caesar. I'm saying that the conspiracy was an open door. But you know, that's not the only time we see that in the Bible. We even see that at the cross. Oh, the men by wicked hands they crucified. Oh, yes, they crucified him. But the cross was the plan of God. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, we'll end there in Acts chapter 2. Remember as Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, before thousands of Jews, he reminds them that although they had crucified the Lord with, by wicked hands, I want you to notice as he's preaching to them, he says in Acts 2.22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. You see, as Peter's preaching them, he says, We know you took him. By wicked hands, you crucified him. But understand that the cross, God or Jesus Christ was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. The sin, their sin and their hatred is not excused. But Peter shows us that God used, used that conspiracy against Jesus Christ to accomplish the plan of redemption. What a wonderful truth to think of. When you look all around, you see all the bad things happening. Can I encourage you? All things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. And often the things that are that we might see as detrimental for the ministry of Paul were actually was an open door for the will of God to be done. So the Lord, may the Lord grant us that understanding in our lives.